Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Um, yeah, I pray that please help us to, to concentrate in your word. Please, Holy Spirit, uh, open our eyes and our minds. Yeah, and help us to, to understand what, what, what is our role of, of yeah, being your people. In your name, my Lord Jesus. Amen. So, where are you from? Surely this is one of the questions I get immediately asked after opening my mouth. Everyone knows I'm not Australian. Fair enough. And yes, so I lived here for almost five years, so imagine hearing that question for five years. Tiring, really. So after five years, or not really, after maybe five days, I started longing for that time when people weren't asking me that question anymore. So about three years ago, I jumped on a plane, and I thought I was going back home, the place where no one else is going to ask me, where, where are you from? But can you guess what happened? No? Well, people in Ecuador started asking me, where are you from? You just sound a bit funny. If you know John, I guess you guys might remember John Woolhouse, people in Ecuador said, said oh, you sound a, a little bit like John. And I thought, no way, I'm Ecuadorian. This is my home, this is my town. I don't know what happened. Maybe after living five years in Australia, then my accent, my, my Spanish accent changed a little bit. And now I sound a little bit funny, even in my own language. Which is something I need to thank Australia for. So thank you so much, guys. Um, so and here I am. Here I am in Australia doing home assignment. Wait a minute, you are not Australian. So how, do, how are you there? Uh, are you saying that you are doing home assignment here? And now I have to start explaining myself why I'm here. So really, who am I? Am I having this identity crisis? What about you? Have you ever have had problems about your identity? What about us as a church? Who are we? What are we doing here anyway? Does the Bible have something to say about our identity? Well, today we are going to see what Jesus has to say about our identity as God's people. Today we are going to look at some verses of the Sermon of the Mount that speak about identity. We are going to look at the what and the why of being the salt in light of the world. So let's start with the what. In the reading of Matthew 5, it is easy to see that it contains two images that Jesus uses to describe identity. These two images are salt and light. Those two images are preceded by the words, you are. This is important to keep it in mind because it means that everything that follows are not ways for becoming salt and light, but rather the result of being that salt and light. So the first question we need to address is, who are these you? To whom is Jesus speaking to? Well, to respond to this question, we need to come back to verse 1 in chapter 5. There in verse 1, we encounter Jesus on a hill, surrounded by a crowd, but his disciples are sat around him. Not only that, actually we encounter Jesus seated and his disciples are seated around him. But why is this important? Well, think for a moment. If you are going to speak to a crowd, you are not going to sit down. No, you stand up. You want that everyone can see you because this is a way that people 
uh, yeah, can, can hear your voice. But, this, but Jesus is not doing this here. He's actually, he sits down and he starts speaking. Why? Because he is speaking to his disciples. And this is really important to keep in mind for the Sermon of the Mount, because it means that everything in the Sermon of the Mount is meant for Jesus' followers. So when we reach verse 13, we can see that Jesus is telling his disciples, his followers, that they are the light and salt of the world. But what does this mean? Obviously, these two images are in literal, are metaphors. Jesus is combining these two images to teach one truth. And that truth explains the disciples' identity. You are. So, let's start looking at those images. Please come with me. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything. Here we can see that the image isn't so much referring about the effects of the salt, but rather what the salt is, or better to say, what the salt has. This verse is saying that the salt has something really special, that is, its saltiness. Saltiness is what gives value to the salt, to the point that if the salt loses its saltiness, then salt is no longer good for anything. If Jesus is telling his disciples, you are the salt, meaning you have something really special. You lose it, then you are no longer good for anything. Bit strong, isn't it? Let's look at the second image, verses 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it only it's a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Here we can see that the focus isn't so much about the light, but instead in letting the light shine. This is why Jesus is saying, you don't light a, light, a lamp and then you cover it. No, that's silly. Not even Ecuadorians do that. No, you light a lamp and then you let it shine. That's actually, Jesus is commenting this section in verse 16. Let your light shine before others. So when we put these two images together, we can see that Jesus is saying to his disciples that they have something that is really, really special. To the point that if they lose this, then they are no longer good for anything. In fact, this really special thing is what they need to let it shine, so others can see it. And this is the what. This is the what. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. But obviously, this creates questions. Questions like, well, what is this? And how can the disciples make it? Uh, how can the disciples let others see it? This takes us to the second point: the why. Why? Why is Jesus speaking in this way? Well, let me tell you a story about about Diego. When I was living in Australia, about I don't know, six years ago, maybe, I visited a church one Sunday, and the minister came to me and asked me, Hey, Diego, how are you traveling? Can you guess how I answered? Well, I said, Ah, oh, man, I'm not driving, so I'm catching up buses and trains. Now, what would you say? Did I answer correctly or not? Well, yes and no, it depends. You know, 
Even though I answer correctly in the literal sense, you know that my answer was wrong. Why? Because the pastor wasn't really asking me about my transportation. No, the pastor was asking me about myself. How are you doing, Diego? How are you? You see, the problem was context. But you wouldn't have that problem. Why? Because you are Australians, you know the language, the slang, you know the context. Now, sometimes, for us, it is the same when we come to the Bible. For us, sometimes, it is a bit difficult to understand images in the Bible, because we live in a different time. So, when we find an image in the Bible, we need to stop and ask, why, why this image is here, and what would it mean for the audience? So, who are the audience in this section? Well, the crowd, the disciples, who are they? First century Jews. These people lived under the teaching of the Old Testament. So to be able to understand the meaning of being a light, we need to first ask, is there any reference in the Old Testament about being a light? And the answer is, is yes. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 2, God introduces this ideal servant, which is the personification the servant is the personification of what Israel was meant to be, but was not. And what is this that Israel failed to be? At the end of verse 6, we can see that, Jesus, that God says that he is giving the servant as light to the nations. And how would Israel be light for the nations? Well, in verse 4, it says that the coastland, the islands, which is just another word for nations, they are waiting for the law, waiting for the teachings of the servant. So here in Isaiah, we can see that God, by introducing the ideal servant, he is showing us the task that Israel failed to do. Israel had to live out the law, which is living according to God's will. If by doing so, they would have shown the nations how different they are, because they are God's people. By the way Israel would have lived, the nations would have got to know God's character. That was Israel's role, but they never did so. Israel never really lived according to God's will. That's why God is now announcing that he is going to send the perfect servant, Jesus. Jesus is, going, is the one who is going to fully fulfill the role that Israel failed. The role of being a light to, for the nations, making God known to the ends of the earth. Now, with this in mind, we can come back to the Sermon of the Mount. The image of being a light of the world should have taken Jesus' audience to Isaiah's words. And in this way, we can start understanding why Jesus is using these two images, salt and light, here. So, in the Old Testament, we have God calling Israel... God's people to be light of the nations. Now, in the New Testament, we have Jesus calling his disciples, God's people, to be light for the nations. Can you see it? God hasn't changed his plan. God's heart has always been in making himself known to the nations. And how does he do that, really? Well, through his people. This is the identity, this is the role of God's people. 
by definition, being God's people means being a missionary people. This is the heart, this is the soul of missions. That means that you guys, you guys have to start considering yourselves as missionaries. You know, a missionary is not just someone who leaves their own country and culture and works overseas. A missionary is not a particular special kind of Christian. No, a missionary is a Christian. We are missionaries because that's, that is God's purpose for his people. Full stop. This is our identity as God's people. Your identity is being lied for the nations. You are lied for those who don't know God yet. And that is, you know, this is all good. This is all good. But in practice, really, how does this look like? Well, we just saw that in the Old Testament, it referred about living according to the law, taking the law to the nations. But that's the Old Testament, isn't it? How would it be in the New Testament? Well, we need to keep on reading. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they might see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Here we can see that there is a direct relationship between letting the light shine and good works. But what's a good work? How can I know that what I'm doing is a good work or not? And even more so, how can an action be considered good in different cultures? Surely this highlights the necessity of an absolute standard. Otherwise, nobody can even talk about a, a good thing, because what is good for you, it might not be good for me. And the standard is necessary. And what is this standard that Jesus is presenting us here? Look at verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Here we can see that Jesus, immediately after having talked about good works, started speaking about, about the law. Now this topic of how, about how Jesus fulfills the law is rich, is deep, and it will take a long time to try to unpack it. However, by the very least, we can say that Jesus fulfills the law because he gives its true meaning. Jesus gives the true meaning of the law. In the rest of the Sermon of the Mount, there is one phrase that it is repeated several times. You have heard it was said, but I tell you. You have heard it was said, but I tell you. Some people see this as Jesus versus the law. But this cannot be because Jesus just said that he is the fulfillment of the law. This is not Jesus versus the law, but this is Jesus versus some wrong understanding, some wrong interpretation of the law. So this means that just as the people in the Old Testament, here in Matthew we can see that this call of being allied for the nations is letting the nations see God's character displayed in our lives by obeying Jesus' words, because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And what does this actually mean for us? Well, remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples. But he is not talking to them individually. He's actually talking to them as a group. The reference, you are, is not singular, it's plural. That means that Jesus is telling his disciples, you guys, you guys, you are the light of the world. And for us, 
That means the church. That means that this church is the light of Asheville. It's a lighthouse. That means that this church has this, have this responsibility to be light. The church has to portray God's character to the world. That means that the church has to reflect love. Why? Because our God is love. This church has to reflect grace. Because our God is a gracious God. This church has to stand up for justice. Because our God is a God of justice. Well, I hope you are seeing the point. It means that how we live individually and corporately matters. It matters a lot because by the way we live, we portray our God to the nations, to the people outside. And here, this, it could be a good, a good point to finish this message. We could finish this message, message here, but in some way it, could be, it would be incomplete. Because we have just seen one part of the image. We have just seen what, mean, what it means to be a light. But what about the salt element? Remember, Jesus is using these two images to teach one truth. So we need to try to find the salt element in these verses. So if being a light means to live according to God's will, so let's see what this passage tells us about God's will. Well, we know that God's will teaches against adultery, right? Well, let's see what Jesus has to say about it. Verse 17. It says that whoever sees a woman or man lustfully has committed adultery in their heart. And what do we say to that? Maybe we can say that whoever is free from sin should throw on the first stone? Maybe? And just in case this hasn't really spoken to your life, no worries. Jesus might have something for you. In verse 22, You have heard it was said, Do not murder. But if, if anyone gets angry at his brother, they are also found guilty. What is Jesus saying here? Something is for sure. He's not making things any easier. In fact, he is raising up the standard. Jesus, in fulfilling the law, he is pointing out the true function of the law. The law is there to show us that we are sinners. That it is actually impossible for us to fully keep the law. This is why Jesus tells us that unless our righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom. But what does this actually mean for our message now? We just saw that the passage was teaching us that our function is to let the world see that we live according to God's will. But now Jesus is telling us, is showing us that our lives aren't perfectly following God's will and that really we can't do so. So what is this that we need to let the world see? What is this that we need to show? What I think it is exactly that. We need to let the world see that, yes, they are called to live and obey God's will. We need to let them see that, yes, we as a Christian, we, live, we try to live according to God's will. Because we have a different standard, now we follow Jesus. But at the same time, we also need to let them see that we can't perfectly do so. 
Remember what's the function of the salt? The salt is this, that if it loses its saltiness, then it is no longer good for anything. That, friends, is the message of the gospel for the church. The gospel is this, is the answer for sin. If we take sin out of the equation, out of the Christian message, then Christianity is no longer good for anything. And that is, a, that is something really hard to say. So please, allow me to elaborate a little bit this idea. Surely Christianity has many good things to offer to the world. As it teaches and promotes human rights. It teaches that the best way to live is under the Bible teachings of Christianity, moral ethics. And even teaches that people can be free from slavery, such as alcohol and drugs. But, but if someone comes to Christianity just to stop drinking, I tell you that that person can become a Christian or a Muslim. If someone comes to Christianity because they want to live in this message of loving the neighbor, that's it. That their motivation is to live in harmony with the world and the nature, when I tell you that that person can listen to some of Jesus' teachings, but also to the Dalai Lama's ones, that person can become a Christian or a Buddhist, or follow any other of the New Age ideologies. And if someone comes to Christianity because they want to have this, uh, this moral life, ethical life, well, there are many people outside who live moral and ethical lives and don't even believe in the existence of our God. I hope you are seeing the point. Christianity is different to the rest of religions and philosophies because of its understanding of sin which points to the cross of Jesus Christ. That, friend, is the soul. This is what we can't lose. Remember, Jesus is saying, that unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, you cannot enter God's kingdom. You need a perfect righteousness. This is our soul. Our function is to let the world see this soul. Let the world see the problem of sin. This is the fulfillment of the law. If we take this message of sin out of the Christian uh, message, then there is no need for, for Jesus. But in our current society, and I think especially here in Australia, the church faces a temptation to accommodate its message so it would be in line to a certain political agenda. To perhaps to change the message to make it more attractive or relevant. And sadly, some churches have gone on that path. There are some who don't who don't want to use that word sin anymore because they are afraid to, to hurt people's feelings. But we can't do, do that. Because if we don't preach and teach that there is a problem called sin, then we no longer have any message to share. This is our identity. This is our reason to exist here as a church. But how can we apply this message to our lives? Well, I think it might be different ways to do it, but today I just want to point out to the simplest and perhaps the most forgotten of them all. And that is 
being friends with non-believers. I don't know exactly how it's here, but in Ecuador, where I'm from, normally when people become Christians, they're encouraged to leave their non-Christian friends at all. And yes, mostly this is based on the desire to avoid sin. And most definitely, there are certain friendships that we need to avoid because they are negative for us. They are not good for us. But this does not mean that we need to turn our backs completely to non-Christians, does it? Because if we do so, to whom are we going to let the light of the gospel shine? This is like lighting a lamp and then covering it up. That's silly. So, can I encourage you to seek to have non-Christian friends? Can I, can I encourage you to pursue some activity with the purpose to make your friendships, make friendships with non-believers? I don't know. Maybe this might be joining a gym or a pottery class or kombucha club that apparently is becoming a thing these days. But do it with a purpose to start growing friendships with non-believers so you can let them see the gospel shining in your lives. I don't know if you have heard people saying that one of the really good things about migration is that now the nations are coming to you. Now the nations are coming to you. Well, I think this phrase should mean a lot for a place highly multicultural like Asheville. The nations are just out there, right? Well, let me tell you something. This phrase, as truthful and well-intentioned as it might be, it actually could be misleading. Because it could portray that the nations are just those who look different than you. The other cultures, they are the nations. But that's not necessarily the case. Biblically, nations are those outside God's people. That's all. So friends, the nations, for you, it might be your friends. So it might be your friends Bruce, with whom you grew up playing rugby with. Or the nation might be your friend Sam, with whom you played netball since you were very little. Your friends are the nations for you. Those who don't know God yet, they are the nations for you. And your responsibility is to let the nations see the gospel shine in your lives. That means that we need to let them see that yes, that we live differently. Because we have a different worldview. We follow Jesus. We try to live according to God's will. But at the same time, we also need to let them see that we are still sinners. But we are sinners saved by grace. That we also need Jesus in our lives. That means, guys, that we need to start being open and vulnerable. We need to stop pretending that we have this perfect life. That because we are Christian, everything goes well with us. We can't do that. Because firstly, that's not true. That's a lie. And it won't take a long time for your friends to realize that. But if we are honest about our struggles and our hope in Jesus in the midst of all of them, then our friends will understand that the same grace, the same forgiveness, the same mercy we receive, it is also available to them. 
And this message, guys, is so powerful because it points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our soul. Let them see it. And to finish this, this message, guys, you know, for me, in some ways, it's very simple, very easy to stand up here and to say these things. Because I'm, I'm living. None of you really know me. You might even believe in that because I'm a missionary, these things are very simple for me. But the reality is that this message is, a, it is actually for me. Because for me, it is actually really hard to start having new friendships. Because it takes a lot of time, it takes energy, and sometimes people can be really awkward. I don't want to spend time with them. I don't want to leave my comfort zone. I just want to live in my own little bubble. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to tell people about my struggles. I also like to portray an image that everything in my life is good. So it means that you guys need to please pray for me. Pray that this message will actually change my life and that I will realize that I need a role to, to play. So please, could you pray for me about that? Can I pray for you about that? Let's pray all together for our Father's help. Oh, our gracious Lord and Father, thank you so much for, for your word. Thank you that your word shows us that you have a heart for those who don't know you. Please help us to, to remember always that we have this role. That the role is to let them see the gospel in our lives to those who don't know you yet. Please give us courage to do, it, do so. And, yeah, help us to encourage one another as uh, we try to, to be the salt and light here on earth. Amen.